Well, good evening, everyone. Um, sad to say, Tree Store, I'll be joining us tonight. She's not feeling very well. So, it's going to be me and Andrea tonight. Talking it out. I have Andrea Perron with us tonight. Um, she is the author of House of Darkness, House of Light, a supernatural trilogy, the story behind the 2003 feature film, The Conjuring. So I'm going to bring Angie Perron on and we're going to discuss her experiences in the house she grew up in. Hello. Hi, Scott. How are you, Sammy? Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, and we're, I'm, looking, we're looking forward to it. Well, I'm so sorry that Teresa is feeling under the weather. Um, and, you know, please um, give her my very best and warmest regards. And I will, you know, send out um, prayers and healing energy uh, for her to get over whatever has gotten a hold of her. That sounds wonderful. She might be um, watching chat tonight. Um, she doesn't feel well enough to talk. She don't feel well. So hopefully she's watching. No, that would be lovely. That would be wonderful that would be great <clears throat> um well you know what i'm going to do is just um leap right in scott because there are a lot of people who think they know our story because they saw the conjuring um the conjuring bears no actual resemblance to our story other than the names are the same um <laughs> there are uh i mean it was um the, the story as it appears in the film was literally conjured up in the minds of two screenwriters who were very well intended um they had read my books they were blown away by the real story they wanted to include elements of the real story, even though the film is predominantly based on the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were, of course, the paranormal researchers and investigators that came to our home. My mother never sought them out. She had no idea who they were when they came to our door. Um, they came because uh, a young team of paranormal investigators had shown up uh, they said that my mother had called them. She said, no, she never did. We've never been able to reconcile how that happened. Um, but I feel like in a, there was something cosmic involved with that. Like they were supposed to be the first ones there and they were college students and they're the ones that sought out uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, who they met at a symposium at the University of Rhode Island um, not long after they came to our house. And, um, you know, I, I really, I can't explain how that happened, but I do know that, you know, the, the representation of it in the film is inaccurate. Uh, the, the representation in the film of our family somehow being godless heathens is inaccurate. Uh, all of us were born and raised Catholic. Uh, my father, before he met my mother, had intended 
on do, doing a tour of duty in the Navy, which he did, and then going into the priesthood when he was done with his service. Uh, but in the interim, he met my mother and fell in love. And so that was out the window. But my father was devout Roman Catholic, was uh, born and raised um, in the religion, went to parochial school, served as an altar boy for many years of his childhood. Um, and then when he graduated from high school, went directly into the Navy. Uh, when we were born, all of us were baptized. All of us made our, our uh, first communion. All of us were part of the Catholic Church. And sadly, when we lived at the farm, uh, we went to church together. I think it was the second Easter that we were at the farm. And my sister, April, my baby sister, April, who has sadly passed away, she died in 2017, very tragically. Um, she said to my mother, as the priest was saying, and the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, she looked at my mother and in her big girl outdoor voice said, see mom, God has ghosts just like we do. And when she did that, um, the priest followed our family out of the church and asked my father to take our family and worship elsewhere. Oh. And so that was our break with the Catholic church. And I don't blame him. He was afraid as so many people are afraid um, that he would lose his, his following, his flock, that, you know, we would be um, somehow a threat to uh, his church. And, and so it, it was the last time that we all went to church together um, as a family. And, uh, you know, that was a, a really gross misrepresentation of who the parents were and are. Um, the scene in the film where my mother is supposedly possessed and Ed Warren mm -hmm. um, does an exorcism, that never happened. Uh, Ed Warren uh, would never, ever have attempted to do an exorcism on his own. At that time, he was literally the only layman on the planet who was trained uh, through the Catholic Church to assist in an exorcism, oh, not yeah. conduct one. Right. Um, he never would have done that. He would have considered it uh, terrible disrespect um, to the exorcists that had trained him. Um, my mother was not possessed. My mother was attacked during a seance that went so terribly wrong that it almost cost her her life. And it was a seance that the Warrens insisted needed to take place because they felt that she was being oppressed by a spirit in the house they felt that there was some type of demonic influence in the house. You know, I, I cannot say that I believe in demons. I have never seen a demon. I do not know if demons exist or not. 
I do know that evil exists okay. and I do and I do know that whatever it was that attacked my mother that night um, because I saw I saw it happen I was 15 at the time I remember it very vividly as if it happened last night um, it's uh, you know every time I talk about it it's like reliving the trauma but you know it's important to share this with other people because people need to understand that there are dark forces at work in the cosmos and whatever it was the the medium who they had brought to the house to conduct the seance um, that my father was completely opposed to did not want to happen in the house was certainly upset that it was um, happening in, uh, when his children were in the house because four of the five of us were there uh, you know of course we were told to go upstairs and go away and mr. and mrs. Warren insisted that it was absolutely necessary it took Ed Warren more than an hour with the priest to convince my father to let it go forward he wanted no part of it he thought that it was a dangerous thing to do and he thought that um, what was being done was an exploitation of our family my mother trusted the Warrens and felt that they were there to help us to do whatever they could to help us um, but even Mrs. Warren admitted to me 40 years later um, when we went to see the film together out in California um, she said you know they were in over their heads the minute they crossed the threshold of that house that they had never ever experienced anything like it and never experienced anything you know after that that was even remotely close to what occurred in our home um, the you probably left with just shaking your head after watching a film like what yeah the hell? No, yeah whose story is that because yeah yeah you know the scene where my mother is threatening to plunge a pair of scissors into the heart of my baby sister was a little hard to take my mother um did everything in her power to protect us and the instant that she realized that there was something very unusual about the house and that it might be haunted she did everything she could to convince my father to put the house on the market and sell it um, and he's like no we you know we just moved in here there's nothing going on here your imagination's running away with you you know I mean he he just didn't believe it and he didn't believe it until it all started happening to him um, and you know so and that's that's pretty typical uh, of you know people that suffer severe hauntings families that go through stuff like this and you know our family certainly isn't you know the only family that's ever been through anything like it um, you know I, th I think that there were misrepresentations and mischaracterizations uh, of the situation and of our family the series of films that began with The Conjuring and have since morphed into many other stories are all based 
some very loosely on the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, it's not our story per se. And the screenwriters, as I mentioned earlier, did want to integrate some of our truth into the film and attempted to do that after reading my books and uh, the, um, the bosses at the movie studio said, absolutely not, no way. Um, they wanted those scenes taken right out of the script. Um, and the reason was, is they felt that it was so intense and so disturbing that it would literally run people out of the theater. And their attitude was, you know, what's the point of making a movie nobody stays to watch till the end? So I personally give people a lot more credit for intelligence than that. And I think that people deserve the truth. And, um, and I think they're mature enough to handle it for the most part. Um, it was difficult seeing our story turned into a movie that was specifically for entertainment value. Um, because my approach to this field and to the telling of our story specifically, um, is for informational purposes, not for entertainment. I don't believe in, in finding my entertainment at the expense of other people. Um, so it was hard to, you know, go to um, one opening after another, whether it be the one in California or the one in Michigan or the one in Rhode Island, the one in Florida. Um, Georgia, you know, I saw the movie nine times in nine days um, because they had me going all over the country to all the different premieres. And I, you know, was watching these moronic idiots throwing popcorn at the screen um, and laughing um, at our misfortunes. Um, and so that was difficult. Uh, and I vowed then to make sure that our story got told properly. Um, and so that's what I'm working on now as a series uh, that will uh, air wherever. I mean, you know, whoever ends up picking it up, but I'm working with screenwriters, I'm working with producers and directors and all the people that can bring the truth to light about our story because I think that, you know, and I've discussed this with you, Scott, I think that it's a very important story to tell. And I think that it is ultimately very enlightening and uplifting, even though there was a lot of darkness in it. And there were things that happened in our family's home that were life-threatening to certain members of the family, my sisters, a couple of my sisters um, came close to death with manifestations that occurred that uh, were very dangerous. And my mother, of course, was attacked on several occasions. Um, you know, what happened the night of the seance with the, uh, with the medium, I consider to be spiritual malpractice she threw open wide the doors to the netherworld and invited everything in. So to determine who the culprit was, 
that was haunting and taunting my mother and whatever it was that did come through into that supremely haunted house was, I don't think of this world. Um, and it physically picked her up in the chair that she was sitting in and in a split second tossed her from the middle of our dining room into the middle of our parlor. And when her head struck the floor and she went silent, we all thought that she had died. Oh. It was the most traumatizing moments of my life. I hope never to revisit anything like that. And I think that part of my job and my message in the world is to forewarn people that that kind of evil exists so that they can avoid it. Because I truly in my heart believe that forewarned is forearmed. I think that I, I can only speak for myself, but I consider myself to be a spiritual warrior against the darkness in this world. And I choose deliberately every day to at least attempt to be a beacon of light and to spread as much love as I can in the world because there is a mortal conflict going on, a struggle between good and evil and love and fear. I don't think that hatred is the opposite of love. I think that fear is the opposite of love and that hate is born of fear. So I work hard every day uh, to bring as much love and light into the world as I can, even when I'm struggling, even mm -hmm. when I'm sad, even when I suffer losses, uh, like our family just did with the loss of our little seven-year-old, um, one of my parents' great-grandchildren, my sister Nancy's grandchild, died two weeks ago in a flood in Tennessee. That. That's, that's horrible. Terrible. And, you know, this weekend I had a very big event to do in Michigan, and I had to go. Um, I had to go. I had made, an, you know, I had an obligation to go, and I don't even know how I got it, but... I tried to how you know how I how I got through it, but um, I still want to make sure you're okay for a night. Yes, yes, and that was very kind and thoughtful of you to reach out the way that you did, Scott, and you know to give me an out on this interview. But you know, postponing this interview would not bring Lucy back. Right. Um, you know, she was only seven years old, and she was a light in this world, and so. I am doing my utmost amidst the grief and the pain and the cruelty of this loss to um, thank you, thank you, uh, to be Lucy's light, to shed Lucy's light at a time when I feel immersed in the darkness of this loss. Um, it is, um, you know, life is, is so difficult. I have to believe that there's a larger plan for every one of us. Thank you so much. I appreciate, I really do. I appreciate everyone. Uh, 
who has reached out to our family, who has reached out uh, offering their sincerest condolences. Um, you know, life and death are precious. Life is precious. Death is precarious. It can come to any one of us in any given moment. That's right. Um, and, you know, if this pandemic has taught any of us anything, it is to make sure that we acknowledge one another and that we love each other powerfully and that we live in the present moment whenever we can. I think human beings are far too, oh, far too busy dwelling on the past and projecting into the future to appreciate the present moment and the time that we do have together. And this past weekend, you know, during one of my talks, I, I said, you know, I don't think any of us will ever take each other for granted again. I don't think any of us are going to be like, oh, I'll see you in a couple of months at the next event, or, you know, I'll see you next year here, or, you know, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. Um, you know, it has had a tremendous impact on my sister's faith uh, to lose her granddaughter this way, um, someone who she helped raise. Um, she and her mother and father lived with my sister for the first three or four years of Lucy's life. And um, so she was very active, a very active part of her life. And uh, there was no happier child on the planet. Um, she couldn't have had better parents. Uh, they couldn't protect her from this. This was an, you know, a, what they call an act of God. Uh, you know, just a, a terrible, horrific flash flood that literally um, swept her and the house away. I mean, it just gone, everything, everything that was her life, everything that it was, it, it's just, it was gone in a matter of moments, everything was gone. And they found her body two miles away from where her house once stood. Uh, how do you wrap your head around that? You know, I mean, I, I don't know how, but I do know that while I grew up at that farmhouse, one thing that I do know is that there is something beyond our mortal existence, that Lucy is not dead and gone forever and ever, that there is some imprint of her left in this universe and that she now serves a higher calling. And that's the root of my faith. And my faith was solidified living in that farmhouse because when there was evil activity and spirit activity that was dangerous um, or harmful or threatening to my family, the only thing that would stop it is invoking the name of God to intervene on our behalf. And it stopped it every single time. So for those who want to experiment with paranormal investigation or watch a few episodes of Ghost Adventures and think that they're prepared to, uh, you know, get into this field, I would highly suggest that they begin by reading everything that they can from reliable sources 
which includes the testament of my family, um, which is chronicled in my books, um, right. who prepared themselves for what is on the other side because none of us are experts in the field. No one is. Yeah. And none of us have been there to the other side, to another dimension, to through a portal. You know, we've, we've not been there. So we don't know other than what we experienced in the farmhouse, the different kinds of manifestations, the different energies, the entities that would show themselves. Um, we don't know from whence they come. We don't know if they return or if they're always there. And sometimes they're visible and most times they're not. Uh, there are no answers to the questions that we in this field pose. There is only proper and respectful consideration given to the fact that there is something beyond this thing we call life, that it's not just ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Um, and this I know, this isn't for me a matter of faith. It's not a matter of belief. I trust and believe in my own senses. I lived immersed in that environment for a decade of my life. Uh, once that door was opened, it never closed again. Um, I have had uh, numerous incidents over the course of my lifetime with spirit, um, including with my sister who visits pretty regularly, checks in on my mother very regularly. Um, and has made That's her awesome. presence known to us. And that brings me comfort. And in, in yeah. this day and age, Scott, when people are oh, you need, dying, you need comfort growth, now, Jesus. Yes. I would hope it brings some comfort to someone. Yeah. yeah. Well, growing up in a house with your strong religious and values and a strong family, to get through it, I mean, you're very uh, fortunate for that. Yes. Yes. And I'll tell you, there are things that The Conjuring got absolutely right. Um, if you watch that film, most people would tell you that it, it leaves a very strong impression on them. Several, in fact. Um, first and foremost, that love conquers fear, that good conquers evil, and that the parent family endured an extreme haunting that we all survived. And those are important impressions to leave on people. Um, and that's all accurate. So in the grand scheme of things, it did get the story right. You know, it's in the minutia and the details that were finagled with and you know, altered and they they relied a lot on method and formula uh, in terms of what they thought would sell best uh, through Hollywood. And, you know, I can't really fault them for that. You know, there is a Hollywood formula that most everybody relies upon in terms of putting out films. Um, but the story itself is much more spiritual 
Um, you've read the books, you know. Yeah. It's it's really more of a love story than a horror story. Um, that it is uh, a very enlightening story that will awaken you to the possibilities that exist in the universe. Uh, it speaks to you know the core affection of a family and how strong we had to be to get through that. Um, and that strength persists to this day, especially when we lost April in 2017, um, my baby sister. Um, that was, none of us will ever get over it in the same way that none of us will ever get over Lucy's loss. It, um, it's not something that I think that anybody gets over. Um, you learn to live with the loss. You learn to live with the hole in your heart. You learn to live with the darkness um, and try to hold that person's memory in the light. Uh, and I think that that's the best that any of us can do. And I, I, I also believe that the paranormal um, is becoming a more relevant field by the day as we are in the midst of this horrendous pandemic where hundreds of thousands of lives are being lost and families are grieving and, you know, suffering immeasurable pain. And um, if, if our story offers them some hope that somehow those they've lost are still around them, are still with them in spirit, are watching over them, have not really gone. You know, perhaps their vessel has perished, but that their spirit, their soul survives and goes on. Um, their consciousness continues to exist. I, I think I find that a very compelling and a very healing notion. Um, and it really isn't about belief for me. You know, this is not rooted in one religion or another. I, I don't practice any specific religion. Um, even though I am, uh, I'm an ordained minister, but I don't, I don't practice a specific religion. I think that organized religion and spirituality are two totally different things. And so I, I really think of myself as a spiritualist um, who can marry people, you know, stuff like that. But <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and God knows I believe in love. So, you know, that's cool. But um, I think that... Uh, I think that we all have so much to learn, Scott. I think that we know nothing compared to what there is to know. And that this time that we spend on earth is equivalent to what I refer to as soul school, um, where we grow and we spiritually ascend. If, if we bother if we put some effort into it if we connect in that way with our spiritual essence 
then I think of it as soul school. I think of it as a place where unfortunately the test always precedes the lesson so that basically we're unprepared for everything that gets thrown our way. You know, God knows when COVID-19 hit, I realized very quickly that this was the paradigm shift. Um, and, you know, if anybody should have been prepared for it, it should have been me. I've been lecturing about it's, you know, being forthcoming <laughs> for more than a decade, yeah. you know, publicly. <laughs> and yet uh, I was as unprepared as anybody else was. I was as flattened and leveled and devastated by the loss of life, um, the sadness, the grief of it. You know, it's it's kind of a blessing and a curse to be somebody that's, you know, particularly empathetic um, because not only do I feel my own pain, I feel the pain of other people. Oh, God, it's like having, a you know, an 18 month long migraine. It's just it's right. mind boggling to me. Um, but, you know. On the other side of this, I think that there will be a great awakening and that there will be a healing and uh, a raising of the frequency and the vibration of human consciousness that as difficult as these days are, as this time is in the course of human evolution, that something on the other side of it will be perhaps a very painful lesson learned, but that we will have learned our lesson. I can only hope for that. And I find myself relying on hope more and more uh, because I see so much to the contrary. You know, I see so much to the contrary. I, I think, uh, you know, our world is in tremendous flux and chaos right now and there's so much division and so much conflict and it's because we don't yet realize that there's no difference between any one of us that there is only one human race and that we are all divinely connected to each other all of us are there, you know, separation, the whole concept of separation is an illusion. And I think that eventually that we will, um, albeit too gradually, but eventually we will come to the full realization of oneness, that we are one, that we share this planet, that we were put here to love and honor each other and that there will be a tremendous healing and that the dark forces on planet earth will eventually be vanquished. It's, uh, you know, and that's hard. That's, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, I look at, I look at what's going on in Afghanistan today, you know, uh, it's medieval dark ages behavior of dare i say human beings that you know think that it's perfectly okay to sever the heads of others 
who don't agree with them. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I can never, um, I can't even imagine embracing a terrorist and saying, I love you. I forgive you. No, I don't. No, I don't burn in hell. Let there be a special <laughs> hell for you to burn in. That's how I feel. I say it all the time. <laughs> you know, let yeah, there I, be I, today. I, I, understand yes. our ideology it, it's not there there's nothing i'm not oh, here man. for everyone yeah. i'm not i understand that um i cannot i have no tolerance for evil i have no tolerance for evil none and i work every day to vanquish it in my own way every day to be the light to be a beacon of hope in the night uh you know to lead others uh by the hand even though we're all little children lost in the woods, all of us are, we know nothing of the grand master plan of the universe. I just feel in, in my heart that there is one, if that makes any sense, that there is one. I, I don't think that I would even want to go on if I couldn't embrace that notion. Um, I have to, that's, that's how I, I get through the difficulties yeah. of life. So I'm not giving you any chance to talk to me, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, you, you pretty much covered, you know, basically what I finished talk about tonight. And um, if you want to talk about, like you said, about your project you got going on now. Yeah, I'm um, working on that, and of course, COVID set everything back, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we've got almost the first season of my screenwriters and I have worked together to put, it was going to be originally feature films, one to coincide with each of the books. And during COVID, I realized that's inadequate. You know, there's no way to flesh out 1,500 pages of stories right. in six hours of film. There's just no way. And, you know, COVID really did change everything. I mean, it's going to be years before movie theaters are packed again with people. Um, most people, when this pandemic hit, if they didn't have a big TV, went and got one. And, you know, now they all watch Netflix and Hulu oh, and Discovery Plus. And, you know, I mean, people yeah. are more comfortable staying at home um, and, and you know, watching documentaries or musicals or horror movies or whatever at home and on their sofa, in their jammies, with their slippers on, where they've got a pause button and, you know, can go make popcorn, run to the bathroom. You know, I, I think that it's going to be a long time, if ever, that the theater industry per se recovers fully from this pandemic. Um, and it only made sense to me to flesh this story out in a series format because it really does cover 10 years. You can't cover that amount of time in two hours. You just can't. Um, not until the whole story, not until what's important about the story. So, for you, more so, like a documentary? 
Yeah, it's really going to be like a docudrama series. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, like it's, you know, we'll have actors that play us as kids and stuff like that, but it's it's going to tell the truth. I think people are ready for it. And, you know, I have oh, respect I've, for I've people's ready for it. intellect. As soon as the conversation came out, I was ready for it. <laughs> yep. 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 I know. You immediately got the books and read the books and said, uh, this yeah. isn't that. No. <laughs> you know, so, um, and I appreciate that. You know, I, I have to tell you, it's, it's really, it's nice to do an interview with someone who did his homework, you know, someone that actually bothered to, uh, to take that, you know, uh, to invest the time and the energy and the effort into reading the true story instead of a couple of hours of watching a movie. Right. Um, I've done a lot, a lot of interviews, Scott, a lot. And you'd be surprised how many watched the movie and that was it and didn't do any research, didn't, you know, and I mean, there's a ton of stuff out, you know, between my website and, you know, so many other places, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of interviews with me that are out there that it's very easy to research the true story on this and they don't even bother, you know, they just say, oh, the conjuring, oh, da, 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 the conjuring and the conjuring. And I'm like, okay, I see I'm going to have to run this entire interview myself. I'm just going to have to because you don't know anything about this story at all, at all. I never say that, of all right, course. Well, I'm too polite to say that to a host, but I don't have to say that with you because you know you what know, you're talking I, about. I always do research first. I, I feel prepared you know, before I go into it. And I've read tons of books on how I read your book. I said, I got to get her on because I felt the same way you did. I said, what the, what they do with the conjured movie? I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. So I'm glad that I got you on to get it straight now. I mean. Well, I appreciate you inviting me. I do. Oh, yeah. I truly do. Anytime and I'm so sorry Teresa couldn't join us tonight. And maybe, I really, maybe, truly maybe hope she feels better. Maybe we have you back. Sure. Down the road. That'd be fun. Um, once you get this documentary going and stuff, we can talk about that. Well, it's well underway. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a great deal that's already written. There are a lot of people involved with making it happen. I have um, producers. I have a director. It's partially mm -hmm. cast. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think that when it does come out, it's going to come out at precisely the right time to be of real value to humanity at a time when so many of us have been so fractured, you know, so broken open that we're ready for it. And, you know, I've had, I mean, countless thousands of readers, countless thousands of letters from kind and loving and 
you know, people who are truly generous of spirit, who have reached out to myself and my family um, to communicate about experiences that they've had and how it impacted their lives. Um, and so I think that the real value in the books is that those that read it, those that it, uh, immerse themselves in that story, ultimately find themselves liberated to tell their own story. Because most people that gravitate to our story have a story of their own and often have kept it secret for a very long time because they were afraid to tell their truth, to speak their truth. They were afraid that they would be shunned or that they would, um, you know, suffer rejection of some kind from, you know, people that, that they have respect for who they're afraid will not respect them for sharing their story. Um, and I think um, uh, I'm down to have Andrea, I, I love. <laughs> Is this from Teresa? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Teresa, oh God. Well, it's good to know that your typing fingers aren't sick, honey. It really is. And yes, dear, I will definitely come back and we'll have uh, more conversation about this because uh, it's really amazing how fast an hour can go. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, you want to talk much of the books? Could you say that again, dear? You were talking about in the flicker? In the, the in the books? Just uh, yeah, two other books you have. Um, well, I actually have five books. The last book that I wrote is not even available publicly. Mm -hmm. uh, not yet. Um, I have been selling it privately to my readers for two years. Um, because it is so intense and it really is. It's so intense that, uh, yeah, I was kind of, it was kind of suggested to me that I keep it in my circle for a while, you know, that I not, um, necessarily put it out into the world yet. Uh, and so I'm getting ready to do that. Uh, and it'll go out on Amazon, but it's about extraterrestrials, oh, which is that's the one of, that's one of our favorites. Yeah, it is. Um, I love our research on that too. <laughs> well, the next time that I come on, um, we can talk about that because the yeah, next I'd love time, to. I come, love uh, then it will be available everywhere. Um, as it is right now, uh, I sell it. Uh, just at, at events that I do or uh, people who are already my readers that are anxious to get a hold of it. But over the last 18 months, I've um, expanded it, um, done an extended edition, um, including some stories and things that have happened over the last couple of years that I felt re uh, warranted inclusion in it. Um, not just things that have happened to me, but things that have happened to um, 
members of my family and particularly my mother. Um, and I also had a couple of incidents uh, that were really so significant um, and added some photographs that were so significant that I felt that they really needed to be included in it. And so I've shipped all of that uh, extra material off to my publisher for layout. Uh, and then of course I'll have to go over it and make sure it's, you know, to my specifications. Uh, and then I'll release it in October. Um, so that's where I am right now. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that when it's um, out and ready, uh, that I'll I'll make uh, you know plenty of notification about it. But the book is called A Wonder to Behold, uh, and the subtitle is uh, Guideposts uh, for Engagement. Um, and you know what? You'd think I'd know my own title of my own book. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. Uh, guideposts, guideposts for uh, intergalactic engagement with humanity. That's it. No, Thank you. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry. It's just been a very long day and I'm really tired. Uh, the words are not coming with the same ease that they normally do. And it's hot as hell down here in Florida. And I'm just, uh, yeah. Not one of my very best days, but I'm um, hanging in there. You know what I mean? Well, I didn't mean to keep the ass there late. <laughs> oh. Hey, you got your coffee there, right? I do. I have my coffee here in my new Michigan mug. Oh, I love that. Which my That's father fair. would be very quick to, oh, cool. I like it. to tell me that it's his Michigan mug oh, yeah. because it was given to him by one of our friends. Uh, when we were up there and, and, you know, my attitude about that is if the mug is in the cupboard, it's our mug and I'm using it. Yeah. It looked like a big mug too. So. Yeah, it really is. And it's got a moose and a bear and a deer on it, which uh, all three of those animals call Michigan home. So it's lovely. It keeps my coffee hot for a long time. And yeah, uh, I'm really glad to have it, and I should, you know, be punished for um, <laughs> for drinking coffee this late at night. But fortunately, it uh, does not keep me up past my bedtime. Right, and yeah. I've got my little baby, my little dog. Hold on, let me let me introduce you to my oh. my princess peanut buttercup. Come here, baby. Come here, does my baby. This is what saved me during the pandemic. This is who saved me during Aww. the pandemic. Yes, I know it's my baby. Her name is Princess Peanut Buttercup. And <laughs> she is um, the center of my universe. Uh, she is the most wonderful little doggy. And I saved her off a highway that she was about to get killed on. Um, and snagged her and took her in and fattened her up and took her to the vet and got all of her shots and got her spayed and claimed her as my own because she was obviously had been terribly abused. Um, yeah, my, and my dog's on my feet right now. 
Well, <clears throat> it was about maybe a week to 10 days before uh, I read the first article about an emerging coronavirus out of Wuhan province, China. And I knew right away that it was going to change everything. I knew it was going to be a global pandemic that there was that no one had any immunity. I know it's my baby. Um, and that it was going to turn the whole world upside down. Um, and I'd only had her for, you know, like a week, a little more than a week. And I, I think that on some level, the universe sent her to me, not only to save her, but for her to save me. Because, right. you know, I've really suffered through this along with everybody else that has any human feelings, any depth of emotion uh, for their fellow man and woman. And um, she was my reason to get up every morning. She was my yeah. reason to keep going. She was, she is my heart and soul. And she is, um, she provides um, joy in my life. Joy. She's my baby. She's my baby. She's my baby. My dog was whining because she wants my lap and she's too, too big for that. That's okay. Well, this one's getting a little big too. Because when I found her, she was all skin and bones and injured. And yeah, you were just a little peanut. That's how you got your name, Peanut Buttercup. Yeah, because <laughs> she was just a peanut with nothing to her. And now she's a little fatty patty. <laughs> fatty patty. Okay. Sit in mama's lap. Sit in my lap. And when we are done with Scott, the very nice man on the TV screen here, then we will go to bed and get the full body rub. There, there you go. A nightly ritual. Full oh, body man. rub. <laughs> well, it's, it's wonderful out of your own night. I mean, so we got to get you back again. All right. That's so fun. Well, and, thank uh, you. You know, I, I appreciate you inviting me. Um, oh, and I appreciate, you know, being able to clarify for people. Uh, you know, because a lot of people, it's not their fault. They don't know. You know, I mean, when you see a movie that says based on a true story, you assume that some element of it is true. Um, and, you know, so nobody can be... Uh, yes, Debbie Emerson. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Yes. Um, uh, you just assume that at least part of it is true. And, uh, and, and you know, and I explained what is and what isn't. But, uh, you know, there's, so, there's a story that's so much bigger and so much more involved and so much deeper than could ever be covered in a two-hour feature film that um, I think people deserve to know the truth. I really do. And, you know, my mom said to me when I was writing the books, she said um, something I thought was very profound. She said that she was proud of me for doing what I was doing, as difficult as I, she knew it was for me. She said, because... This is not the kind of story that one should rightfully take to the grave. And she's right about that. Mm -hmm. This is a story that needs to be told. Um, and I, I, in my heart, I, I, you know, I truly believe in my heart 
that we lived it for a reason, you know, that our family was brought to that farm for a reason, that my mother was attracted to that house, found that house. You know, I don't believe in coincidence. I don't. I think that's a fancy word that we use to explain away the otherwise inexplicable events of life. Right. Um, I think that we were meant to be there. We were meant to have the experience of the decade we lived there. And then 30 years later, I was meant to tell the story precisely the way that I did. Um, and I was guided by spirit. And in fact, the books, the books are a little difficult to read if you rely on a concept of linear time. Um, what I ask my reader to do is to suspend the notion of linear time. Uh, because even though the books begin chronologically and they end chronologically in volume three, from the moment we step onto the farm as owners till the moment that we leave um, in volume three, the stories are all intermingled, you know? So it's not like it goes, you know, from one month to the next, to the next, to the next, you know, right. it's, it's not written like that. I, I guess what I ask my reader to experience is that same sense of timelessness that we had living there and to just be open to the notion that everything they're reading happened within the time frame that we lived there but that that it's you know you see it at the end of it you see it well you know scott you see the whole thing like you can it's like you can see when you finish volume three you can see how all of it transpired and it all makes perfect sense but you know the stories are intermingled Great way you put it too at the end. Yeah, the stories are intermingled according to the type of haunting that occurred. You know what happened? There you go, sweetheart. Go down on your yep. princess palette. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's um, it's a little bit of a challenge for some people, uh, but it also kind of pries open their mind. You know, it kind of pries right. open their third eye, and um, makes them think a little differently. Um, so in that respect, I think it's valuable. It drives some people nuts, but, you know, they're <laughs> beyond being able to think other than, you know, on Venn diagram time. What far me have I have fun. <laughs> so. Yeah. If I, can, if I can do it, it's real. <laughs> yep. Well, so, um, if anybody... Um, go ahead. Uh, when did that book comes out, I'm going to get it, I'm going to read it, and then be a month after, I'm going to have it back on. That sound good? Okay. Okay. <laughs> that sounds marvelous. I'll have more time. Um, it's busy now. You know, I'll yeah, be traveling. Be next few months are going to be busy. Yeah, the next though. few months will be busy, but then, you know, the beginning of next year, it'll be quiet year, for a while. Yeah, probably like in January. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, I thank you very much for having me on as your oh. guest tonight. Oh, and if anybody awesome. wants to reach out to me, um, I have a number of pages on Facebook. The fastest way to reach me is through my fan page, um, which is the Buttercup Brigade. Uh, 
on Facebook and my administrator, uh, Lynn Ann Bowling, um, can, you know, put us in touch with relative ease there because she monitors the page very closely. I spend, oh, excuse me. I spend so much time writing and traveling that I don't get to spend a whole lot of time on social media, but if somebody's reaching out, she'll, you know, put them in touch with me and it's, uh, I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you did. You wrote to me through my website. And yeah. so I believe that's how you got in touch with me. Yeah, my website. I, I call you at night. We talk on the phone for a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was really lovely. You're, you're, so, you're so nice to talk to you. I mean, I've talked to you forever. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate joining you tonight. And uh, I know our time is up, and I'm going to take my little dog for a walk and then go to bed. Yeah, um, but, fun. <laughs> yeah. but uh, we'll, you know, stay in touch, and, and I'll join you uh, in the new year, and we'll talk about the galactic family um, that hovers above us. Yeah. How's that? Sounds great. Okay. And give Teresa my best. And thank you very much to your viewers and your listeners. I appreciate your kind attention and your affection. And your um, uh, so many have expressed condolences. And I, my family deeply appreciates it. Um, so uh, I will join you again. Looking forward to it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, have a good night. <laughs> you too. Good night. Good night.